And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, <laughs> listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. <laughs> I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents all things entertainment, including trivia contests and games, movie reviews, celebrity interviews, showbiz news, and classic radio shows. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. In this hour, Gerald Moore stars as Raymond Chandler's tough-as-nails private eye, Philip Marlowe on the adventures of Philip Marlowe from 1949. But first, by very popular demand, we've invited Tony Moore back to the show. Tony is an author, a superior court judge, and the son of actor Gerald Moore. Tony, welcome back to Hollywood 360. Carl, thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. It's so great to have you back. I got to tell you something. Lisa and I, and this is so true, we were mesmerized by your book and by our conversation with you, as were our listeners. So we had to have you back, Tony. Well, I'm delighted to be here. And uh, I, you know, it's interesting. You sent me a, a list of some of the radio shows that you, know, you might want to talk about where my dad was involved. And, you know, I can't, I'm not going to admit that I know all of the shows by heart. There were just way too many. But I looked up a couple, and, you know, it, again, the, the coincidences just don't stop. I'll give you one example. Uh, the book talks about my father and my stepfather, Stan Dashu. Well, Stan Dashu's closest friend in high school and lifetime friend, they knew each other for their whole lives, was Mel Shavelson. And Mel Shavelson wrote the screenplay to a radio show uh, that my dad appeared on in the Damon Runyon Theater. It was called Sorrowful Jones. Oh, wow. Yeah. Your dad was in a lot of... Yeah, that is... That's a great coincidence. Your dad was in a lot of those Damon Runyon Theater radio shows. Yeah, he, he, he was. He was. He, I mean, he was in hundreds and hundreds of shows. I mean, he was on so many radio shows. He's one of the voices that when we listen to these shows... We right away can pick out. Well, there's Gerald Moore. You need a very distinct voice, right? Right. You know, it's another thing that's interesting. I I uh, went on YouTube and I played Idol of Miss Sarah Brown because yes. I didn't know the show. Um, which a I didn't realize. You know, my father played Sky, who of course is the protagonist in Guys and Dolls. Yeah. But beyond that, beyond that, um, the, sh- the the plot of the story has to do with finding a soul for Sarah, who happens to be a missionary. And, of course, my father is in love with her, and she won't have anything to do with him because he's you know, a gangster in, in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to find, you know, he's going to uh, gamble and find a soul or many souls to give her. It just so happens that I'm reading a book called Dead Souls, written by Nikolai Gogol, a known Russian 
author. Hmm. And it's all about a person who's collecting dead souls and running around Russia trying to pay for them. Well, that is, talk about uh, small world, right? Yeah. We, yeah. Are, we are talking with Tony Moore. And Tony, um, I got to say, your book is incredible. If there's any book we're going to talk about this year, folks, out there uh, coast to coast and, and globally with this radio show, it's this one that you should all own. Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads by Anthony J. Moore. You can go to Amazon, uh, and it's also available on Kindle, too, right? Kindle, Barnes & Noble, uh, Thrift Books, IndieBound, lots of places. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a book you should all have. And in this book, um, Tony talks about growing up really in a time when, like, divorce was kind of frowned upon. Not that it's not frowned upon. It's always frowned upon. But I'm saying back then it was not, the you know, not something that happened 50% of the time like it does now. Um, and you grew up really uh, with, um, you know, two dads. You had this rock in your life, your mom, and then your mom and, uh, and Gerald Moore, uh, your father, divorced, and your mom married another man, and you were going back and forth uh, to be in both their, their lives, and it was such, such an impactful thing. It was. It was. It was kind of a, a ping-pong ball existence because every second weekend I spent it with my father and his uh, new wife. Yeah. Uh, Tony, you know, a lot of the listeners were wondering, and a lot of the questions that came up was, they're wondering if you could describe your dad and your stepdad because they had such a huge contrast between their two personalities and how that affected you growing up. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, a per, one person wrote a, re, a review for the book, which appeared in Hippocampus Magazine, which is a very respected literary journal. And... Uh, when she wrote the review, she said, if it weren't for my stepfather, Stan, mm. I never would have become a judge. Mm. If it weren't for my father, I never would have written this memoir. Huh. Wow. 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 Well, so I, I, have to, like, I have to know more. So how do you think that helped you become a, a fair, you know, a fair you know, d- judge? Hopefully, I have been fair along the way. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna bank on that one. <laughs> I can introduce you to some lawyers who might have a different. View. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but in any case, um, it, it really, you know, I, I, I never had to make a decision between the two households. Nobody ever said, "Okay, which one do you like better? You know, where would you rather live, or anything like that." But obviously, you know, I'd be at one place and something might go wrong, and I'd say, "God, I wish I were back at." you know, my my mother and dad's place, right. or uh, stepdad's place, and then something would happen with Stan. I go, I wish I were living with my father mm-hmm. and my, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of helped, I guess, you know, get along in two different cultures, because they really were two different cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that helps you on the bench, because you want to see the, and understand two different points of view, sometimes mm-hmm. three or four different points of view. Mm-hmm. And I think as a kid, if you're exposed to different lifestyles, that will help you. I'm not saying the, it's the easiest thing to do or that kids should uh, have to go through that. But if you've got to go through it, I think it will help you later on should you get into a position where you have to understand differences among people. Sure, weighing the two lifestyles amongst each other. Yeah, when right. you... and they were very different. My, sure. my father was the bon vivant. He was the one who, you know, ran around until all hours with his buddies and having laughs, and you know, clearly you know, had lots of uh, girlfriends along the way. Uh, certainly, when he was married to 
his second wife, and my guess is when he was married to my mother, although I can't prove that one way or the other, Stan was totally true blue to my mother, absolutely faithful. Uh, Stan was the conservative Republican supporter of Nixon, businessman. Uh, my father was the supporter of Adlai Stevenson, the supporter of uh, you know John Kennedy, of Bobby Kennedy. He campaigned for Bobby Kennedy. He was at the ambassador when Bobby was shot. Mm. Um, they couldn't have been two different people. Uh, but what's really kind of ironic is here's my father in Hollywood, um, and he he was successful, but he began to slip. Uh, I'd say starting around 1955, after he had spent a year in Europe with a dying television series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's Stan, who really wants nothing to do with Hollywood at all. I mean, he's you know strictly business, but among his closest friends are Mel Shavelson, uh, you know, head of the Screen Actors Guild, uh, Screenwriters Guild, excuse me, Writers Guild of America West. Uh, Harold Kress wins an Oscar for How the West Was Won and another Oscar for Towering Inferno for Best Editing. Um, so, you know, Stan is very much involved with, and knows people at the very top of Hollywood. My father doesn't. His friends toward the end are the struggling actors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, that's ir- ironic. Yeah. Uh, it, it, another thing I'll tell you is this. My father had an old Argus 75 camera. He didn't really use it a lot. We spent this year in Europe, and I have the photos, and they're not very good, and they're all black and white, and probably don't number more than 50. Stan had dozens of cameras. He photographed everything. He did it with professional quality. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was an absolute shutterbug. (laughs) Boy, I'll tell you. uh, With a few minutes left, I just got to ask you, when you hear your dad or Sam, when you hear Gerald Moore on these radio shows, your dad, and see him on television, what kind, what kind of feelings come back for you? Because I know when you were a kid, he, he would leave to go do a show, and you would be being tucked in to bed by your mom, and sometimes you'd listen on the radio. When you hear them now, all these years later, what, what, what kind of emotion comes, comes to you? It depends on what he's playing, but uh, often he comes in by surprise. I mean, I have walked across the room... My wife had a TV show on, sometimes an old Perry Mason, and I walk across the room, and there he is. You know, yeah. I never expected to see him, but he's on the screen, at which point, I guess, you know, part of it is proud, proudness. Oh, there's my dad. Isn't that nice? I'm, you know, he'll, 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 he'll be immortal. He's always going to be available uh, to myself and to the world. Uh, sometimes it's sad. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get a little, you, yeah. know, uh, you know, a little emotional, sure, if you will. Sure, sure. We are, we are talking to Tony Moore and uh, his book, Every Other Weekend, Coming of Age with Two Different Dads by Anthony J. Moore. It's a, it is an amazing book. It is incredible. Folks, go to Amazon, buy it, and there's uh, pretty much everywhere else, Barnes & Noble, too. Tony, uh, we're going to listen to five radio shows on this edition of Hollywood 360, all of which your dad is a part of, either starring or co-starring, so... Um, thank you for thank you for being on the show again. We just love having you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I love uh, talking to both of you. You take care now. Okay, you too, Tony. Thanks Bye. so much. Thank you, Tony Moore, Bye-bye. and the and the book again. Every other weekend, coming of age with two different dads, Anthony J. Moore. Make sure just go to Amazon and just type in every other weekend. 
coming of age with two different dads, and it'll it'll pop up. It's a it's a soft bound book. You can get it on Kindle as well, and you will love it. And we're gonna we're gonna love listening to Gerald Moore all night. Uh, in just a moment, the adventures of Philip Marlowe. Stick around. More Hollywood three sixty after these important messages. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, we're going to start things off with The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. This was a detective series created by Raymond Chandler. Um, and uh, he was this, this detective was first seen in The Big Sleep, a novel by Chandler. And then it was in films. Uh, Dick Powell played him, Robert Montgomery, Humphrey Bogart, James Garner, Robert Mitchum. But on radio, Gerald Moore played Philip Marlowe, and he played him to a T, that deep voice of his. Uh, CBS uh, brought this show to radio. It was one of the most popular shows on radio, not just a detective show. Of all shows, it had a huge listening audience. Gerald Moore stars now in The Lady Killer from August twentieth, 1949. Here's part one of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. This time, inside of two hours, a lavish mansion seethed with suspicion, a sealed cabin filled with gas in an artist's retreat, had a corpse on the floor. All because one man was too good-looking to be true to anyone. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Lady Killer. The longer I sat in my office with my feet up on the desk and thought about it, the more convinced I became. Paul Niles was unquestionably the handsomest man I'd ever seen. He had a face that belonged on a Greek god, only his features were better, more finely chiseled. They looked as though they'd been molded out of alabaster from a blueprint by some inspired genius. And the classic side view he presented made the great profile show up like a bowl full of shredded wheat. In fact, the guy was much too good to be true in more ways than one, which had been my original impression of Niles when I'd first met him, just two hours ago at the corner of Sunset and Coenga. And at his insistence, had driven him around the quieter streets of Hollywood in my car while he tried to hire me. He was scared stiff. But that was all he would admit to, and 
As he talked, I wondered what it would be like to have a face like that. Must become quite a problem. Women cluttering up your life. Marlowe, you're not listening to me. Unless you help me, I, I'm going to be killed. Soon, tomorrow, tonight, maybe in the next ten minutes, I, I must have protection. From what? Who's after you? A girl. Her name is Nora Kirby. She's threatened my life, and now she's here in town. She actually intends to go through with it. I found out where she's staying. I went there to talk to her, but she was out. Why is killing you so important to her? Well, I I don't even know for sure. It's, it's something ridiculous. Mm. Nora Kirby obviously doesn't think so. Let's have it, Niles. Why? I, I, I can't tell you that. I see. Also, I suppose you don't want to take this to the police where it belongs, and you can't give me the reason for that either. Yes. I came to you because I need private help, and I'm willing to pay well for it. Now, you don't have to concern yourself for the reasons. Simply see that Nora doesn't get to me. Now, here, as a starter, here's $200 for just that. Keep it. I only accept money from the people I work for. You mean you won't help me? I just want to know where I'm going before I start. Now, wait. You don't can you get un- off here. Don't you understand? My, my, my life's in danger. I'm scared. Not enough to loosen your tongue, any. Here, this is as far as I go. But tell me one thing first, just for laughs. What business are you in? Why, I, I'm a composer. I write music. Mm-hmm. The way you said it, it's either a front or a hobby. How do you get your dough? I have friends, wealthy ones, who have faith in me. That's more than I can say for Marlowe. So long, Mr. Niles. Go on. Out. All right. But here, at least take my card, and please call if you change your mind. I- I'm desperate, Marlowe. I'll pay you even more if you'll only... Goodbye, Mr. Niles. was the way I'd left it two hours ago at eight. And I'd spent the time in between trying to referee a tug-of-war in progress with the feeling I had that I'd been stuffy on one end and my undernourished bank account on the other. And was slowly but surely getting no place. So when the break came, I grabbed at it. Hello, Marlowe speaking. Marlowe, this is Paul Niles again. Oh? I've uh, thought it over. I'll tell you everything if that's the only way. Because I've got to have help before it's too late. That's better. Where are you? In my studio, 3893 Avenida del Sol. 3893. That's off Coldwater Canyon, isn't it? Yes. Now get over here right away, will you? I... Wait a minute, Marlowe. There's someone here. Somebody just came in now. What? Niles? Who's there? Who is it? Nora, is that you? Oh! Niles! Niles! Niles' phone went dead. I hung up, ran to my car, and was headed for Coldwater Canyon before I stopped to think of what I'd heard on the telephone could very easily have been bait for a patsy routine. Because I had nothing more to go on now than before except Niles' promise to tell all that I'd got no further than gunshots. But I was already well on one easy way to find out, so I corkscrewed my way over the mountains to Avenida del Sol and followed it to number 3893, which was a straight-up driveway etched narrowly into the hill face that ended on a gravel shelf just big enough for the redwood and glass studio. A generous helping of imported jungle for landscaping in a circular parking space. As my headlights slashed across the tangle of overhanging trees in the center, they trapped the figure of a woman running. She stopped, crouched, and looked back into the glare like a cat does, and darted for the darkness again. But I caught her at the corner of the house. Just a minute, baby, not so fast on the curves. Let me go. Let me go. Not until we've been properly introduced and had a chance to talk a lot of things over, Nora. Nora. Yeah, Nora Kirby, girl with murder on her mind. Oh, no, no, you got the wrong person. My name's not Nora, it's Lynn. I don't know anyone like that. Lynn what? Lynn Horton. Lynn Horton. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lynn Horton. What's inside that got you so panicky you can hardly stand up? Is it Paul Niles? Yes. I gotta, I gotta get away from here. And it actually happened, huh? He was shot. Is he dead? 
I don't know. I think so. But how did you know about it? Who are you? Name's Marlowe. Come on, Lynn Horton. Let's take another look. No. No, I, I, I couldn't bear it. Mm. Can't see him through the window. Means you must have been inside. Inside? No. No, I wasn't. Now, look, baby. You're too jittery to try to lie. Let's have the key. Come on, give. Oh. That's better. Right. After you. Go on, inside. Now, where is it? Yeah. Oh, Paul. Paul. Come on, Lynn. Come over here away from me. I, I can't believe it. I can't. What's your connection with him? I, I was just a friend. I tried to help him with his music. Mm-hmm. The price on the merchandise you're wearing, you must be one of those mentioned. What do you mean? But you got dough and it shows. We'll skip that. Assuming you didn't kill him, you must have had some reason for showing up here tonight. What was it? Well, I only wanted to... Did you hear that? Someone's outside. Yeah, get the light. Yeah. There! On the terrace, something moved down there. I'm going out to see who it is. And listen, there's no such thing as welcome visitor just now, baby. So you stay here, understand? And don't budge. I felt my way out the door, down the stone steps toward where we'd seen the movement along the wall of the far end of the terrace. But there was no sound. Nothing moved. Whoever had made the noise had gotten away clean. So I headed back for the house, and that's when I heard it. I started after it with my shin against the first rock garden. Stop me cold! Ooh. Instead, I, I listened to her drive away. Called myself a few unpleasant names and concluded that Lynn Horton, or whatever her real name was, had been quite as scared as she acted. After I limped inside, turned on the light, and reached for the phone, I stopped at the word Nora above a pretty girl's picture on a newspaper clipping sticking out of Paul Niles' pocket. It carried a New York dateline and said that Nora Kirby, convicted of manslaughter in a traffic accident, had been released after serving three years. At the bottom of the story, scrawled in ink, was the message... Three years for something I didn't do. To get something I couldn't have. It's not fair, Paul. I'll be seeing you. It was signed Nora. I picked up the phone again, and a few minutes later, Detective Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide was up to date. Okay, I'll be right out. Did you say this girl, Nora Kirby, did it, Marlowe? I said Paul Niles was expecting her to, and it looks like she did. Say, look, there's another angle, though. The woman who just beat it away from here. The one who called herself Lynn Barton? Yeah, yeah. There's... That somebody else who was snooping around outside, too. Who also got away from you. You're doing real well, Marlo. Oh, now, wait a minute. Will you see this joint, you'll understand. Besides, I'm in this for curiosity only. Now my paycheck got murdered, remember? And furthermore, I... Yo, I never have matches when I want them. What'd you say? I said I'm looking for some matches. No, here's some. Hmm. These are the strangest matches I've ever seen. Well, what about them? I got a velvet cover on him. So what? A velvet book of matches. Mm. Hey, hey, Matthews, did you ever hear the name Negrotto? Negrotto? Yeah. Uh, sure. Abel Negrotto. Yeah? He's a big name in the music publishing business. Made most of his fortune on records. Lives in Beverly Hills. You know, I got a dandy hunch. I'm going to go have a talk with Mr. Negrotto, Lieutenant, okay? On one condition. Be careful what you say, Marlowe. And uh, keep in touch. All right, that's the first portion of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. This series, Lisa, had as many listeners at the time it was on the air as Jack Benny's show or Bob Hope's show, Burns and Allen. It was uh, it, it kind of um, it was probably the most listened to drama on radio. It had a, it was number one always in its time slot, and um, 
Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe in this terrific series. And we'll get back to the lady killer from my birthday, August 20th, although a little bit before my actual birth year. Not much, though. 1949. A couple of years. Uh, Yeah, we'll get back to um, this terrific episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe in just a minute. Are you going to be around when we come back and do I, this? I guess. You're going to stick I around really don't have any for the rest place of the show? to go. <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> we'll be right back. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co host in total you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month become a classic radio club member at classicradioclub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator log on to classicradioclub.com or call 815-900-7535 that's 815-900-7535 And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. How would you like to get this show sent right to your email every Monday, the full five hours, on a link that never expires? We also add to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 show our podcast called Radio Rarity. Pretty good. No script or anything, Lisa. You just uh, hit it right out of the park there. Well, we record it it constantly. (laughs) (laughs) We are. We record it like every once a month. We do four shows. Carl Shadow writes it. He does an amazing job. Radio Rarities, if you've never heard it, it is a podcast that Lisa and I co-host. Mike produces it. Carl writes it. We take a very rare radio show. And in fact, we even did a Philip Marlowe episode Mm -hmm. one time. Remember? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we do different shows. There's, uh, they're chosen because they're very rare for one reason or another. We break it all down. We play the show. That whole program generally runs about 40 minutes, and we tack that on to the Hollywood 365-hour show, and we send it to those who subscribe to our podcast. They get it every Monday, sent right to their email, link that never expires. And so if you don't listen to it that week, just leave it in your email and and it's really convenient to just wake up and the next thing you know, you have this great email with our five-hour show and Radio Rarities, and you can keep it on your computer until you're ready to listen to it. But it's a, it's very convenient. In addition, it allows you all five hours of the show, which I know a lot of people don't have access to. Yeah, a lot of our stations don't carry the full five hours. And here's the other thing. If you travel a lot in your car or in your uh, SUV or whatever— or a, you're a truck driver, whatever you may be, this is a great way to make the miles fly by. Or even laying in bed at night. You yeah. Know, you just turn a it on. A lot of people do. So here's the thing. We have two ways. You can get the podcast. You can just get it uh, at our website, hollywood360radio.com. Um, you can call a number, talk to a live operator, 815-900-7535, 815-900-7535. It's very inexpensive. In fact, it's only $5.99 a month. That kind of covers our cost to 
send it to you and for the bandwidth. It's just a way to cover our costs to send that to you. Or you can do a lifetime podcast. You ready for this? We will send this to you every single week for a one-time payment. Your card is not dinged every month, $5.99. One-time, $100, and you will get it for the life of the program. And we will also mail you our very special Hollywood 360 coffee mug as a thank you. All of that is explained at our website, Hollywood360radio.com, or call 815-900-7500. Three, five. All right, we're listening to The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. This stars Gerald Moore. It's called The Lady Killer. Here's the conclusion. Good evening. You aren't Mr. Negrotto, are you? No, I'm not. I'm Garrett Horton. Mr. Negrotto is busy. Horton? Yes. Something wrong with that? No. No, it's a more common name than I suspected, that's all. Will you tell Mr. Negrotto I'd like to see him for a few minutes on an urgent matter? Name's Marlowe. Perhaps you didn't understand me. Mr. Negrotto and I are in the middle of a business conference. We can't be disturbed. No, you can't be disturbed. Well, no. look, Mr. Horton, a man was murdered tonight, and one trail leads from the corpse straight to this front door. Either Negrotto talks to me here now or later at police headquarters. You decide. Well, if that's where you feel, come in. You an officer? Not exactly. I'm a private detective. I see. Well, follow me, follow me. led the way through what looked like the outer lobby of the Taj Mahal, and down a silk-padded corridor to a set of carved doors that would have fit any roundhouse in the country. When we walked in, a man glanced up from a stack of papers, and with a pair of eyes that belonged on a shark, did his best to look a hole through me. Horton introduced us. This is Mr. Marlowe, private detective. Uh, Mr. Negrotto, I'm looking for a girl named Nora Kirby in connection with the murder of one Paul Niles tonight. She either committed the murder or knows who did because she was there and saw it. And what exactly brings you to my house? Well, I found this book of matches near the door of the dead man's studio. I I think it's yours. It is. Go on. Any idea how it got there? None, whatever. And until you mentioned their names, I'd never heard of either Nora Kirby or Paul Niles. How about you, Mr. Horton? No, I'm afraid not. Oh, uh, there's my wife. Oh? I'm sure you'll want to give her the third degree, too. Oh, just a moment. Uh, Lynn. Lynn, darling. Come in here, please. Uh, Lynn... Uh, This is Mr. Marlowe. How do you do, Mr. Marlowe? I'm glad to know you, I'm sure. Thanks. I'm pleased to meet you, Mrs. Negrotto. Your brother and I have been trying to convince Marlowe here that we didn't commit murder tonight. But he thinks we did because he found this book of our matches near the corpse. Can you explain it, my dear? Why, no. I I can't imagine. The man's name was Niles, Lynn. Paul Niles. Mean anything? No, nothing. How about Nora Kirby? I don't think I've ever heard the name before. Well, Marlowe, that would seem to take care of the book of matches. Not completely. It was found at the house of the dead man, remember? We've had hundreds of these made up. Passed them out freely. I, uh, I think you've taken up quite enough of our time with this absurd business, Marlowe. So now I'll ask you to leave. I'll show you out, Don't bother. Now listen, Negrotto, and listen closely. I've been taking it easy so far, but somebody in this room is absolutely certain how those matches got out there. I know that for a fact. And I'm a private detective, don't forget. So if you suddenly remember something that needs talking over, I'll be in my office for one hour, but not one single minute longer. Good night, all. When 
When I started back from my office on Cahuenga, I figured that there was an even chance that the double talk I'd left in my weight might stack up in the center of the Negrado living room floor like so much dynamite, which, if touched off by the book of matches, could cause an explosion that would jar loose a few facts about the lives and loves of the late Paul Niles. Facts that would make finding Nora Kirby and clearly understanding her motives something less than impossible. And 20 minutes later, when I was slouched behind my desk and listening to the staccato report of a pair of high heels clicking sharply toward my door, I had a hunch that my theory of violent detonation was not just wishful thinking. When the door opened without the formality of the knock, that hunch turned a sure thing because the visitor was the not-quite-lady called Lynn. Mr. Marlowe, And before she could speak her piece, the phone rang and sure thing graduated to cinch. It was another negrotto, the one named Abel. Uh, Marlowe. I suppose it's stupid of me to make this call, but frankly, your visit here has left me curious. Uh, you have a minute? Yeah, I think so. Hold a wire, will you? I need a light. Be with you in a second, Mrs. Negrano. All right, but what I have to say is important, Marlowe, so make it fast, will you? Just as fast as I can. I don't think your husband has much to say to me. Husband? Mm-hmm. That's Abel you're talking to? Yeah. Now, do you mind handing me those matches there? Thanks. Hello? <laughs> Sorry to have kept you waiting, Mr. Negrotto. I never seem to be able to hang out of matches. Uh, that's odd. You apparently did all right on that score tonight, Marlowe. Is that the reason for the call? Uh, more or less. Marlowe, uh, you know as well as I do that servants, guests, uh, anyone who's ever been in my home could have left those matches near the body of that Paul Niles. That's right, Mr. Negrotto, anybody. Which also includes you, your wife, your brother-in-law, and others in the family I've still to meet. What's your point, please? I'm in a hurry. Very well. Marlowe? I called to find out if you're holding anything back from me. If this murder concerns the Negratos beyond the appearance of those matches. I can't say. Uh, because there is something. Because I don't know. Anything else? Uh, no, there isn't. A... I... Yes, Marlowe, there is. Oh? To be honest, I admire the way you handle the situation. What's your address? I may have work for you soon, tonight. Thanks, Mr. Negrato, but I don't think I'll be available. At least not till I get through with the job I'm on. Which is what? Handling dynamite while I play with books of matches. Good night, sir. What, what did he want, Marlowe? Among other things, an expressed desire to hire me. To do what? Report on you, I suppose. He didn't say. What makes you think that's what he wanted? Addition, Mrs. Negrotto. A rich old husband, a beautiful but bored young wife, and an unemployed Adonis always add up the same way. Also, you were here in my office just about clinches things, not to mention your presence near the corpse, the key you used. And I've heard enough, Marlowe. Look, I didn't want to get mixed up with Paul. I couldn't help myself. I swear I couldn't. He was different, Marlowe. Handsome. More charm than I'd ever known in anyone. Yeah, real lady killer, I know. What are you getting at? Just this. I'll pay you any price you name. Only don't tell Abel that I had anything to do with Niles. He's a jealous man, Marlowe. Insanely jealous. If he knew about us, he'd... Kill Mrs. Negrano? I... I don't know. Marlowe, what do you want? Right now, everything you know about Nora Kirby. But I've never heard of her before tonight. You're lying. No, I'm not. It's the truth. Now, now what do you want? Nothing. Good night. You... You mean you won't say anything? Oh, Marlowe, I... I don't know how to thank you. Don't try. Also, don't get mixed up about me, baby. The fact that I won't blackmail you doesn't mean I don't like you. And the door, Mrs. Negrato, leave it open on your way out, will you? I'm expecting another visitor. No, my husband. No, just another man. The anchor man on a triumvirate I once left some dynamite with. I won't bother explaining that. 
Goodbye, Mrs. Negretto. You great, big, beautiful doll. Oh. Come on in, Mr. Horton. I've been waiting for you. Why, Mr. Marlowe? Something I said or didn't say at the house? Not exactly. It's more a matter of intuition, high explosives, and the fact that both your brother-in-law and sister have already paid their respects. Now, what can I do for you? I'm not at all sure. It's the first time. I'm only here because I noticed something very strange about the way my sister looked at you when you spoke of the murder of this Paul Niles. When she left the house shortly after you, did I follow her here? All of which makes the next question, why, Mr. Horton? Because I don't trust her. And more important, every penny I own is tied up in a business venture of mine that her husband is backing. She originally met Abel through me, and if she should in some way be in trouble, the kind of trouble that her husband wouldn't put up with, I might suffer for it in the long run right along with her. Uh-huh. And uh, by the trouble, Mr. Horton, you're referring to something specific, I think. I am. Mm. Lynn has had a very, uh, well, a very mixed-up background, Marlowe, so it's entirely feasible that in some way she's connected with this Nora you spoke of who killed Paul Niles. You mean as an accomplice or even as accessory before or after the fact? <laughs> Pretty thoughts about your own sister. Which I can't help. I doubt that you have anything to worry about, Mr. Horton. However, I will say this, that if Nora Kirby hadn't gotten to Paul Niles, sooner or later he would have had plenty to worry about. You mean that... I mean that now's a great time for you to go home and sit on your investment. All is well, Mr. Horton, for the time being. The moment after Horton left the office, I came to the hollow conclusion that although my little bombshell had exploded on schedule... Damages have been light and the jarred loose neither fact nor fancy about the late Paul Niles and much less about the elusive Miss Nora Kirby. So my next move had to be a second trip to Avenida del Sol and a report to Detective Lieutenant Matthews, which is what I was about to do when it came from someplace outside, long and loud. I ran the length of the corridor outside my door, then bellowed down the single flight of stairs to the street where in the half-light of a distant lamppost... I saw the shadowed figure of a girl slip behind my car and dart toward a storefront nearby. I started after her and stopped at a noise behind me, which was a... Old mistake! Oh. Hey. Hey, Junior. Hey, come on, honey. Pull yourself together. Oh. Let's go, fellas. Come on. Oh, it's you. You're the one who screamed? Screamed? Honey, you have got it bad. Listen, oh. this is just Sally. Hello, Sally. <laughs> Relax, honey. You're lucky a cop didn't come along first. Being drunk is one thing. The DTs is something else, I know. Last year, I was in the same shape, and it took me three months now, to Now, wait get... a minute. Hold it, will you? Look, I was slugged, not slipped a Mickey. Slugged? Honest? Slugged. Honest. Now, if you don't mind giving me a hand, I'll get up. Ooh. Easy, Ooh. honey. Here, let me help you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I figured you all wrong. Never thought you was slugged. Any idea who done it? No, no. Look, tell me, didn't you see anything before uh-uh. you found me, I mean? Uh-uh. Didn't hear a girl scream, see her run away? Nothing at all. Oh. Honey, you must have been out longer than you thought. Maybe... Hmm? Hey. Hey, look, this this card here on the ground. Yeah? What's your name, honey? Philip Marlowe, why? Why, well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you more than that. You know who slugged you, honey? A polite guy. A very polite guy who left his card. you engraved and all. Paul Niles, know him? I used to. It won't work, Swedes. Niles gave me that card earlier tonight. Must have dropped it just now. Also, Niles is dead in that you. And what? Back of that card there in pencil. Give me what? that, will you? Gray's Motel, 1000 Santa Monica Boulevard, Bungalow 9. 
Sweetheart, I may have something good here. About who slugged you, you mean? Better than that, about who killed Niles and where she can be found. By love, here's five for your trouble and bless you. As I piled into my car, I knew that putting Niles' conversation piece about having just come from Nora's place when he first met me, together with the address on the back of his card, was taking a lot for granted. But I sold myself that playing a long shot was better than not betting on anything at all, and I kept driving fast. When I came to a stop away from the place which was run down, spread out, and quiet, I had a feeling that what I had earmarked long shot was quickly moving up to even money. And when I was standing next to the motel bungalow Mark 9, that feeling became fact because inside and piled in an awkward heap on the floor was a still form of the girl the newspaper clipping had labeled Nora Kirby. It was another full second before I realized something even more important. On a hot night in August, there wasn't a single window open. Nora Kirby was huddled close to a gas heater that was on but showed no flame. I picked up a stone at my feet, took one deep breath, then crashed the pane of glass, unlocked the window, and got inside and over the girl, who I figured was taking the hasty way out of a murder that she no doubt had a very personal reason to commit. I stopped figuring when I was kneeling next to her. I knew that she was still alive. And that a man gripping a forty-five in his hand had just opened the front door. Don't make another move, Marlowe, or I'll kill you. Well, comes the switch. Brother-in-law Garrett Horton. I never would have guessed. You wouldn't have had to try if you kept your <coughs> nose clean. No. Get away from her. Why? So she can die as a suicide, which the police will chalk off as logical, since she's already wanted for murder that you no doubt committed? Exactly. Murder I committed because there isn't anything worse one can do to a blackmailer. So that's it, Niles. The lady killer was blackmailing your sister. You found out and killed him before he could cause too much trouble. <coughs> Family trouble that would end up hurting the good thing you've got with husband Abel, huh? Yes. Now, shut up and get away from her. We're going outside. You're kidding. Marlowe, Mar- Marlowe, I'll shoot you if you don't start walking. You're still kidding. Horton, you can't kill me without killing yourself. <coughs> this room is jammed tight, tight with the gas you turned on after you brought her in here unconscious. After you sapped her outside of my place because she was on her way to see me and tell me that you had murdered Niles. The flash from that gun in your hand, Horton will blow us all to bits. Face it, brother. For you, it's all or nothing at all. Go on, shoot. Go on, try it, try it. I can't, I can't. I can't. Dr. Gorson, Dr. Gorson, please report to Ward uh, You, you can see Miss Kirby now, Mr. Marlowe. She's going to be all right, but uh, hold her down to a few minutes, will you? All right, doctor, just a few minutes. Hello, Nora. Been a long time getting together, huh? Yeah, but not through any fault of mine, Mr. Marlowe. I followed you from the moment you left Paul's place. But I wanted to see you alone, so I kept waiting for my chance. Which was canceled out when Horton spotted you after he left my office. Hmm. You had to learn to run faster, honey. He had to take time to knock me out, and still he caught up with you. So did you, I'm very glad to say. Even though you probably weren't trying to save me at the time, were you? Hmm. Frankly, honey, until Horton stepped back into that bungalow to keep me from interfering with things, I figured you were it. That might have been, Marlowe. If Paul hadn't been killed just before I got to him, at least I'd have hit him with something hard. I had motive, you know. Yeah, I read all about it. Three years in prison for something he didn't do. But tell me, if Niles framed you and you knew it, why didn't you go to the police? He couldn't have been that irresistible. But he was, Marlowe. And more... As a matter of fact, he didn't frame me in the first place. It was my own idea. You see, Paul was driving the car when we... we had that accident three years ago. Not not me. 
You switched places with him, huh? Mm-hmm. Why? He'd already had his license revoked for reckless driving. They'd have sent him away for ten years at least. As against my three. <sighs> Believe it or not, at the time I couldn't think of waiting that long for him. No? Mm-hmm. Hello, Marlo. Hello, Matthews. We checked our story. It's true enough, even if it's the kind of thing we're not supposed to be able to understand. Of course. Paul was strictly a lady killer, remember? Yeah, so he was. Well, I guess that ties everything in, huh? Not quite, Phil. I've just finished take, taking a statement from Horton. There's one more question. Whatever made you so sure that, that in a room half filled with gas, a gun exploding would blow everything up? Oh, well, that's simple. I, I, uh, uh, I, uh... You what? Well, I, I figured, you see. I, I thought that, that, uh... <laughs> yes, well, good night, Miss Kirby. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. So long, Lieutenant. So long. Lucky. By the time I got back to the quiet of my apartment on Frank Franklin, it was a little better than two in the a.m. As I sank into an easy chair without bothering to turn on the lights, I realized that for the moment I was tired. Tired of people. Their troubles, their petty little jealousies. <laughs> lady killer. What makes one man a lady killer and another... Oh, well. I lit a last cigarette and I thought about the mountain of trouble a classic Grecian profile had built for Paul Niles. I stopped thinking when the flare of the match in my hand showed in a mirror opposite me. The mirror that also reflected the face of the guy holding the match. Hmm. He was a long way from being an Adonis. In fact, <laughs> he was slightly on the mud fence side. Hmm. And at the moment, glad of it. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, Paul Dubov, Ted Von Eltz, Ann Morrison, Don Randolph, and Edmund MacDonald. The special music is by Richard Orant. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It started with a man on trial for his life. And an A1 citizen eager to testify. But there it was interrupted. And it wasn't until I found a corpse in a bubbling bath, gunplay in the woods and lots of blackmail, that the real eager witness had a chance to talk. Stay tuned right now for the Gangbusters program. Yes, it follows immediately on most of these same stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's the adventures of Philip Marlowe, August 20th, 1949. The Lady Killer, starring Gerald Moore, is it on CBS? Time for this month in music history. This edition of Hollywood 360, we're going back to the 1980s, starting with this song. 
the police. Right? Yeah. Are you familiar with the police? <laughs> yeah, I've been arrested a few times. <laughs> I bet. Um, this happens to be a great song. It's called Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic by the police from their album Ghost in the Machine, hit number three on the Billboard chart. I never owned a I never owned a police album. I didn't either. Yeah. But I appreciate it. I mean, I like their music, but I didn't. It wasn't enough for me to spend five ninety nine. Right, same. You know? Right. That's I think what an album costs back then. Not right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Sure. More of Hollywood three sixty after this. More Hollywood three sixty after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Lisa, if you've been paying attention, you know we've been airing some lost radio shows, and we have a lost episode of Bold Venture in our next hour. Thanks to our listeners who helped us save that program. Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, and also in the cast, we discovered Gerald Moore. So uh, perfect timing. We're going to play Bold Venture for you in our next hour. We're also going to play... Uh, beat the host. That's right. It's all about Johnny Cash. So if ah. you'd like to call in and play the game and maybe beat the host, I'm rooting for you. The number is 312-642-5600. We're looking for caller number nine. Play the game. Call and be on the air with us. We'll see you soon. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families, too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform. 